Today's podcast is brought to you by FantasyAces.com, the premier destination for daily fantasy sports and home to incredible once-in-a-lifetime big-ticket live championship finals for pro and college football, baseball, and basketball. Join FantasyAces.com today and claim your 200% first-time deposit bonus with promo code 4 for 4 that's four F O R four. Welcome to the divisional playoff edition of DFS MVP Daily Fantasy Sports Most Valuable Podcast, presented by Four for Four Football. I am Four for Four's senior DFS editor, Chris Raybond, joined as always by my co-host, Mister TJ Hernandez. What is going on, TJ? What's up, Chris? Hope you had a, a good wild card weekend. Uh, unlike most of my weeks, I followed my own advice and cut way back on volume and only played uh, some GPPs. But overall, it was a, a profitable week. I just didn't go go too crazy. You don't want to go too crazy on uh, the short slates like we talked about last week. Uh, you don't want to dump all those winnings that you worked so hard for all season on a weekend with only four games. Definitely. I only played about 1% or 2% of my bankroll last week, and I played strictly GPP as well. But before we move on, let's talk about the song that played us in. That was We Fly High by Jim Jones off of his 2006 album, Hustlers P.O.M.E. I think you sent a GIF of the video in a 4 for 4 email thread, TG, and I was like, all right, we got our song for next week. Yeah, I mean, it was it was just the perfect response because uh, you're probably not going to bring it up, but uh, you were nominated for FSWA award, which is very very exciting. So congratulations on that. Uh, but that's why that yeah that's why I, I sent the the uh, the ballin video. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I don't even really like that song, but it is funny. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a good if it's a good reference. Um, but yeah, congrats on that, and congrats to Four for Four for uh, their nominations. Uh, really, really good stuff. Definitely, congrats to everybody at Four for Four for their nominations, and congrats to everybody who got a nomination. Uh, yeah, very cool. I'm very uh, honored and humbled to be nominated. And um, let's just jump right into this playoff DFS though, this divisional round slate. Uh, we'll do a little different format for the playoffs here at DFS MVP. We're just going to go game by game. And before we begin, we do, as always, suggest treating the playoffs, as TJ just mentioned, kind of like week 17, limiting your exposure to cash games, playing more GPPs. And one of the main reasons for that is in fantasy football, touchdowns are so important. And I've done preseason work. It appears in the Daily Fantasy Playbook that showed that touchdowns are the most volatile of all the fantasy football stats. So it's incredibly difficult to predict touchdowns, and they can have a huge impact and swing things one way or another on such a short slate with only four games. And that's kind of why we suggest just limiting your exposure, especially to cash games um, in these kind of slates. So with that being Uh – oh, sorry – yeah, no, just before we jump into the game, uh, the actual games, uh, just just touching on short slates. Uh, we mentioned a little bit last week, and we haven't done a ton of research on the short slates, but it's it's no coincidence that if you looked at the winners uh, last week, uh, the top 15 or so uh, positions on both FanDuel and DraftKings and the, uh, the low buy-in, like $5 tournaments, uh, all had Kirk Cousins, and that's not surprising because quarterback's generally the highest uh, scoring position. And uh, with with so few options, the ownership percentage isn't necessarily as important. Uh, the value isn't necessarily as important, especially in a, a week like last week where you can fit virtually anyone into your lineup. Um, we're really just looking at that raw, um, high-scoring, best-situation um, play. So... 
Um, that's why you don't want to necessarily just fade those really, really great uh, values or great plays just for the sake of differentiating. Um, you're really just trying to get the best score and uh, you know just maybe make a unique lineup with something like um, like a, a top quarterback. But it's not a surprise that if you nailed that quarterback last week, you had a really good shot at, at uh, jumping a lot of people in the field. Definitely well said. I think you basically just need to combine uh, like – three or four of the highest scores mm-hmm. of, of the week and then just have a, the rest of your lineup not really have any duds. Like, I'm pretty sure all those Cousins lineups had the Chiefs defense as well. Yes, yes. So it's really, if you didn't have that combination, because that, that actually happened to me in a bunch of GPPs where I did pretty well with eight of my players, but mm-hmm. I just didn't have the Chiefs defense and the lineups just didn't cash. You know, it was right. because, you know, when there's a team, when there's a team or just a player that, outscores the other players at their positions by a large enough margin they're going to be uh really important in these short slates so definitely good points there uh let's start off with the kansas city chiefs visiting the new england patriots tj the chiefs are five point underdogs in new england the game has a 42 over under that means the projected score is 23.5 for new england and 18.5 for kc yeah, this is um I guess we're doing um the the worst worst first here. Uh this is probably my least favorite game to attack in the slate. Um it's not the lowest projected score. The uh Pittsburgh game actually is, but there are some spots that I think you can exploit in that in that game. Uh this game uh has two teams that have pretty tough defenses, uh not a lot of holes, um but as we talked about before, uh, any any player that's projected to see a high volume, obviously all the quarterbacks and defenses are really in play just to differentiate your lineup. Um, but there's a spot that I think is very unique here that um, I will be targeting. I'll just get to that uh, momentarily. But we'll start at the top. Uh, Tom Brady is $8,600 on FanDuel and $7,400 on DraftKings. Uh, obviously because he's Tom Brady in this offense, he's going to be a player that people are going to uh, really zero in on. Uh, anytime you have that name value, especially when there aren't a lot of plays available, uh, you can expect that player to be a little higher owned than the other players. Um, but down the stretch, uh, Tom Brady and uh, the Patriots offense just in general kind of um, kind of struggled a little bit. Tom Brady was tied for 18th um, in red zone pass attempts over uh, the last six weeks of the season. He had just 20 red zone pass attempts tied with um, Hasselback over that time stretch for um, red zone attempts. So obviously he's not getting a ton of opportunities. And Kansas City, as we know, has a really good defense, ranked second in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. Um, and just overall, they've been really stingy. We saw what they did last week against the Texans, who obviously aren't the Patriots, but um, Kansas City's really just been suffocating opposing offenses. So the only reason I'm really targeting Brady is for um, game theory purposes, but I don't have him ranked very high among quarterbacks that I'm targeting this week. Uh, On the other side of the ball, we have Alex Smith. Contrary to Brady, he's usually going to be one of the lower-owned quarterbacks just because people don't see him as a guy that's going to put up a lot of points. But you have to remember that Alex Smith is always one of the top rushing quarterbacks, which is very valuable, um, especially in the scoring systems that DraftKings and, and FanDuel have, where um, 40, 40 yards rushing is equivalent to a passing touchdown. Uh, so that's always worth noting. And if we look at the value reports, on 4 for 4 Alex Smith is actually the uh, top value in your ceiling projections on DraftKings, where he's only $5,400. So uh, he is worth considering if you want to save some cap space. Uh, as far as running backs go, I will get to why I don't particularly like um, – the the Patriots running backs in a moment. Um, I mean, James White is the guy that I think a lot of people would, uh, if you're not digging into the numbers too much, you might want to target him just because he is useful in the short passing game. Uh, Steven Jackson led the team in snaps at running back in week 17, but Kansas City is a very hard team to run on. Uh, On the opposite side of the ball, pretty much everything that I said last week about Kansas City's uh, running game holds true. Uh, Luckily for me, it was one of my calls that uh, did kind of go as I expected. Uh, The Chiefs started out with West, and again, Ware was a little more effective uh, once they... uh, 
once they got near the goal line and once they had the game in hand, where really took over. Uh, this game could be a little different just because Kansas City isn't favored. Um, I'm, I don't expect them to score a lot of points in this game. Uh, so I'm probably avoiding that backfield altogether and might actually go the opposite way just because I think uh, Kansas City might be trailing in this game so it doesn't really uh, play out as a Spencer Ware game. Uh, But the spot that I do think is very interesting in this game, if I am targeting it, is New England's wide receivers. Uh, Julian Edelman comes back. Uh, He he broke his foot and he's been out for uh, eight weeks, I think. Um, he's coming in priced right about where you'd expect him uh, with a healthy Julian Edelman. He's $7,400 on FanDuel and $7,100 on DraftKings. Uh, With Julian Edelman coming back, I think a lot of people are going to ignore Danny Amendola, uh, but I think that the savvy move might be to not only roster Edelman, but to pair him up with Danny Amendola just because I think that the way Patriots are going to attack this chief defense is through the short passing game, and I think that's going to be specifically with Edelman and Amendola, not necessarily James White or Gronk. Uh, We just look at how... Uh, Kansas City has thrived on defense. They've been really great against quarterbacks. Um, in the receiving game, they've been especially good against running backs. They've allowed the least receiving yards in the league to running backs and the fourth uh, fourth fewest receiving yards to tight ends. Uh, but then, interestingly, they've allowed the seventh most yards to wide receivers, the ninth, po- ninth most fantasy points to wide receivers. Um, one of the reasons we see that that discrepancy is just because they've forced so many turnovers, uh, second in the league in uh, interceptions, and then right up there in sacks and at forced fumbles versus quarterbacks. So that obviously drives the quarterback uh, fantasy points uh, down a little bit. Um, but like I said, they're they're really good at corralling that passing game out of the backfield. So I think New England can really attack them with both Edelman and Amendola. Uh, Amendola is averaging over five targets per game when Edelman was active, so he's still going to be a part of uh, their passing attack. And I don't think Edelman necessarily comes in and just gets his 12 to 15 targets. Uh, we've seen Amendola uh, um, play really well in Edelman's absence, and I, I think they could kind of use them interchangeably this week to try to attack that short passing game. And if you do roster both of them, it's going to give you a very, very unique uh, lineup construction, which we're always looking for in these short slates. Uh, on the other side of the ball, wide receiver, it's really going to come down to Jeremy Macklin's health. Uh, we thought he had a torn ACL last week. It turned out to be a high ankle sprain, um, but that is still one of the hardest injuries to return from, especially for a wide receiver that's uh, running, trying to make cuts. Uh, if Macklin does play, he's uh, likely to be in a decoy role or a limited role, um, so that could make things really, really uh, foggy trying to decipher that passing game, but if he's out, the guy that gets the biggest booth is uh, Chris Conley, who's only $3,000 on DraftKings. Uh, we saw him come in and get a touchdown on his only target last week on that uh, classic Macklin red zone route, just that that uh, that short post that they love to run Macklin on when they get near the goal line. Uh, they ran to Conley, and he scored. Uh, so he could be very interesting if Macklin is out. Uh, and then tight end. Um, Gronk, obviously, it's just going – it always depends on if you want to pay up for Gronk. Unlike last week where you can fit uh, pretty much anyone you want into your lineup uh, with Gronk and just with the top quarterbacks and a few expensive wide receivers, especially if Antonio Brown somehow plays, uh, you have a lot of decisions to make, so you can't just throw anyone into your lineup. Uh, Travis Kelsey, again, I don't think that this KC offense flourishes, especially if Macklin's out. Um, but if you look at our value reports, he's on both DraftKings and FanDuel. Overall value at tight end, uh, both in our medium projections and, Chris, in your ceiling projections. Um, so if you do think that uh, you know Alex Smith is is going to be a good, a good value play and free up cap room for your elsewhere, uh, if Macklin's out, then I think Kelsey's probably the guy that you want to pair him up with. Uh, do you got anything else on this game? Yeah, no, I think this game is a a really interesting game because there are so many things at play with, for example, Kelsey, you know, he grades out as a top projected value, but there's always that danger that Bill Belichick takes him away Mm -hmm. just because Belichick has had success doing that now. He hasn't always had success doing it. I mean, Brandon Marshall scored a couple of touchdowns mm-hmm. against them a couple of weeks ago. So it's not out of the question, but there's always that fear I think you have um, when a top option is facing 
Belichick. And then on the other side, you have Gronk going up against the Chiefs, who have been the best team at defending the tight end pretty much all year round. But uh, I, I think, you know, Gronk is obviously matchup-proof, so he's you wouldn't play him in cash games regardless. But it is an intriguing tournament play because I don't think he'll be too highly owned, especially with Kels coming off the Kelsey, excuse me, coming off the big game, and Greg Olson also sitting there uh, at mm-hmm. tight end. So it, a lot of moving parts in this game, but I do agree it's pretty much the the least uh, appealing game of the four game slate. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the Packers at the Cardinals, the Cardinals are favored by. Seven and the over under in this game is fifty, so the over under is a lot higher than in any of the other three games on the slate. The projected score would be Cardinals twenty eight and a half to Packers twenty one and a half, according to Vegas. Uh, my favorite play in this game is actually Carson Palmer. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people think David Johnson's uh, the best play in this game, and I think he's a great play too. But just looking at Palmer's. Uh, price tag, especially on DraftKings, I, I really like him there. And FanDuel, you know, he's regularly priced. But uh, the Packers allowed Kirk Cousins to throw for 329 yards last week, and Cousins finished as a top fantasy quarterback last week. And in the regular season, Palmer finished first in yards per attempt with 8.7, fifth in passing yards per game at 291.9, and first in total QBR. At 82.15. So Palmer had a really amazing season this year. Uh, We mentioned the team total for Arizona. Palmer's accounted for 71% of the Cardinals offensive touchdowns. So I think Palmer really has a ton of upside as one of those quarterbacks that could throw for, say, 350, 400 yards and three, four touchdowns. I think that's his upside. And I'm not sure uh, any other quarterback on the slate necessarily has that kind of upside this Mm -hmm. weekend. Um, That being said, David Johnson is still a great play. And one thing I will say is that a lot of people, David Johnson will probably be the highest owned player. And I think a lot of people will might go away from Carson Palmer because they have David Johnson in the lineup. And I think that's a mistake. We've seen this before and we've talked about this all year when there's an offense that does well, everybody benefits and, if the Cardinals end up scoring, you know, in the high 30s or something like that, there should be enough to go around for Palmer and Johnson, who is averaging 21.4 touches per game over the last five weeks. And on those 21.4 touches, he's going for 131.6 total yards per game. And he's also averaging a touchdown per game over that span. So he's averaging ridiculous numbers, basically those Le'Veon Bell type numbers or those even those DeAngelo Williams type numbers with Pittsburgh. Uh, the Packers are ranked 19th in rush defense DVOA courtesy of Football Outsiders and last week Green Bay allowed 171 yards on 24 touches to Washington's running backs. So a lot of that was in the passing game with Chris Thompson, but we've seen David Johnson be really effective in the passing game. Uh, he had 88 yards in a game uh, a few weeks ago. So uh, Johnson, a really good option, can hurt Green Bay on the ground or in the air. And at wide receiver, Michael Floyd, he's got five 100-yard games over his last eight. He is a bargain on both sites. He's still priced in the wide receiver three kind of range. Uh, he's about 6500 on FanDuel and 5100 I believe, on DraftKings. And since week eight, Floyd leads the Cardinals in receiving yards, and he's tied for the team lead in receiving touchdowns. So, you know, Michael Floyd, very underpriced, probably the best wide receiver value just dollar for dollar. He's kind of the... He's not exactly the Cardinals' number one receiver because Larry Fitzgerald is still going to get more targets, but Floyd tends to lead them in yardage because he's getting deeper targets with I think we talked about this before on the air, mm-hmm. but Fitzgerald is kind of turned into just a chain-moving slot guy. Sometimes he'll get touchdowns, sometimes he won't, but his yards per reception is, usually stays in the 9 to 10 yards per reception range. So Fitzgerald could catch 
seven, eight balls, and he's not even a guarantee to hit 100 yards. On a short slate like this, I think Fitzgerald and John Brown, they're all in play because uh, this 28.5 team total is just so much higher than any other uh, team on the slate that all, all of the Cardinals' main offensive weapons are threats to score multiple touchdowns in this game. But for the in terms of value, I think Floyd is the best play and then Chandler Cotanzaro speaking of value he is actually our top kicker value on the 4 for 4 FanDuel value reports this week and again that's due to the fact that the Cardinals do have this 28.5 team total they're at home they're seven point favorites all positive indicators for a good kicker play in daily fantasy moving on to the Packers side of the ball I think Aaron Rodgers at 8,300 on FanDuel and 6,700 on DraftKings is probably the safest and best play here. He has the second best matchup for quarterbacks on the slate, according to 4 for 4's schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterback. Um, the Cardinals rank 11th in that metric, so of course this is the playoffs. Almost every defense is good, but it is worth noting that Rodgers has the second best matchup on paper and their offense got back in track a bit last week. There were still a lot of off-schedule kind of ad-lib situations. Players on the defense jumping offside and Rodgers making them pay. But I think James Jones benefits the most in this game just from the new let-it-fly mentality, from the fact that it doesn't look like Devontae Adams will play. And Patrick Peterson doesn't really go to the slot. However... It's possible that if Adams doesn't play, uh, Abraderis may get some slot stats because Abraderis has actually, when Cobb, Abraderis on the field at the same time, usually Cobb actually kicks to the outside. Now, because they're facing the Cardinals and Patrick Peterson is on an out, mostly an outside cornerback, maybe they switch that up and maybe Cobb actually stays in the slot. So it's it's kind of hard to predict, but regardless, I think James Jones, he usually lines up uh, on the side of the field where Justin Bethel would be lined up on. And per f- pro football focus, Bethel was targeted on 25% of his coverage snaps, and that's the most of any starting cornerback on this divisional slate. Uh, James Jones has 11, 13, and 11 targets in his last three games, and his average depth of target per PFF is 15.9. So if Rodgers is going to let it fly, Jones is usually the guy that's going to be the beneficiary of some deep targets there, and that could make a huge difference in potentially a very high-scoring game. And then Richard Rodgers is another guy to look at, and that's just based on the 4-for-4 four four schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed metric. The Cardinals actually rank second-to-last in that metric in the league, so shades of the last couple of years when they were really bad against tight ends. They started off the year pretty good, but they have devolved into a really poor defense against the tight end. I'm sure uh, the loss of uh, Tyron Matthew doesn't really even help there in the middle of the field. So Richard Rodgers, he is touchdown dependent. If he doesn't score a touchdown, he probably won't do much for you. But again, if you're trying to win a tournament, we talked about this, touchdowns can swing things in a major way, especially from cheap players right like Rodgers. He has actually been the most effective red zone receiver for the Packers since week 12 with a 33% uh, red zone touchdown rate. We talked last week about how bad the rest of the Green Bay receivers have been in the red zone. So Rodgers is an under-the-radar guy to look at just based on the on-paper matchup and uh, potential red zone targets. TJ, anything to add to Packers-Cardinals? Uh, I mentioned last week that uh, Jordan Reed was the one player that I, I didn't want to avoid to get cute for differentiation. Um, this, this week, for me, it's a David Johnson just because I think he's uh, just clearly the top running back at his position. Running backs uh, just so bad this week that uh, I think you really can't afford uh, to avoid Johnson. Uh, it's interesting, the numbers you noted, uh, 20, 20 plus touches, 130-plus yards um, as a starter. That includes the last two weeks where he was kind of uh, 
really limited just because of, of huge blowouts. One because um, Cardinals were, were blowing the other team out, and the other because they were getting blown out. Um, so even on the, including those two games where I think I think it just had like 11 and nine touches, um, still averaging over 21 touches per game. Uh, so if we expect this to be a game that goes in the Cardinals' favor uh, and somewhat close, then that favors Johnson that much more. Um, so he's a guy that I don't, he's the one guy I don't want to get cute and avoid this week. Um, but moving on to our third game of this divisional round slate, uh, we have Seattle at Carolina. Uh, Seattle is a three point underdog. This game has a total of 44 points. Uh, Carolina implied a point total, 23 and a half Seattle, uh, 20, um, and a half. Uh, if we look at the quarterbacks, I mean, these are the two uh, hottest quarterbacks going into the playoffs. Uh, obviously, Russell Wilson had a little bit of a bad game last week, but uh, that game had a lot to do with the weather conditions. It was just expected to be a low-scoring game uh, all around. Again, if you look at uh, our 4 for 4 value reports, uh, Cam is the top FanDuel value on 4 for 4, uh, top ceiling value on both FanDuel and DraftKings. He's priced at $8,700 and $7,500. Uh, again, we remember how he finished the season. We know that he has one of the highest floors. Um, his rushing gives him uh, safety, but also very high ceiling. But my favorite play, not just of this game, but the guy that I'll be targeting the most is Russell Wilson uh, for the simple fact that he finished um, as as efficient or more efficient than Cam uh, over the last six, seven weeks of the season. And he's coming off of a, a poor game, regardless of whether it was because of the conditions or not. Uh, those things stick in, um, in people's minds. Uh, the most, uh, the, the biggest predictor of ownership percentage is um, last week's production and Russell Wilson didn't have a good game. So a lot of people are going to overlook the fact that, he was the most efficient red zone passer d- down the stretch, uh, converting 46% of his red zone passes into touchdowns over the last six weeks. And he also has a perceived touch, tough matchup. But if we look at that last uh, third of the season, Car- Carolina was middling against uh, quarterbacks, um, averaging um, averaging over 16 uh, Fanduel points allowed and over 18 uh, DraftKings points allowed to quarterbacks. Quarterbacks over the last six games uh, ranked just 16th in uh, fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks over that stretch. So they've only been average, um, and we know what Russell Wilson can do. We're always targeting uh, efficiency over volume. Uh, these two teams played against each other in week six, and it was a relatively high-scoring game. So I don't think it's going to be uh, a spot where it's just two really good defenses. I think uh, it could go the other way. This game has uh, definitely has shootout potential. Um, unfortunately for Seattle, it does look like Marshawn Lynch is going to be out again, so it's really hard to target anyone in their backfield. Uh, I think he practiced in full today, but he did the same thing last week, and it still sounds like he's going to be out. Um, if Lynch does play, you have to consider him, but as of now, it looks like the only running back to target in this game uh, is Jonathan Stewart, who is uh, expected to come back uh, from injury. I do like Jonathan Stewart as a tournament option just because I think he'll be flying under the radar a little bit just since he hasn't played in so long, uh, especially on FanDuel where his price is a little bit more depressed relative to DraftKings. Uh, despite the injury, uh, Stewart's actually ranked uh, third on DraftKings where he's priced at 5800 uh, 6300 on FanDuel, but that makes him the fifth most expensive running back, so you're getting a little bit of a discount there. Uh, before Stewart got hurt in in the Falcons game, which I think was week uh, 14, um, he had eight straight games of 20-plus carries, uh, including a game of 20 carries, uh, 78 yards, and two touchdowns uh, versus this very Seattle team, which started off that streak of 20-plus carries. Uh, and in that time, he led all running backs in touch, with touches uh, inside the 10-yard line, averaging two per game, the only running back to average two touches per game inside the 10 uh, over that stretch. Uh, so Stewart not only is going to get the volume if he's healthy, but the uh, the upside with those um, with those goal line touches if he plays. Uh, moving on to the wide receivers, 
Obviously, if I, I like Russell Wilson as my top guy to target, then I'm naturally going to uh, favor Doug Baldwin, who's been his favorite target. Uh, I don't think it's any secret that Baldwin's been one of the best fantasy receivers down the stretch. Uh, I don't think his price is high enough to deter anyone from rostering him. If you do like this game, he's $7,400 on FanDuel, $6,800 on DraftKings. Uh, second red zone targets over the final six games. Uh, last week, the Seahawks only had one red zone target, but it went to Baldwin and it went for a touchdown. And if we do, uh, if we like this game, then I think Baldwin will be all right because he should be able to avoid uh, Josh Norman. He'll line up mostly in the slot. Um, Chris, you're always a little more privy to those uh, shadow stats than I am, so I'll default to you on that one. Um, but I, th- I think you should avoid Norman in the slot a little bit. Uh, if you like the passing game of Seattle and you want to save a little bit of money, I think that you can target Tyler Lockett and Jermaine Curse on DraftKings where we have the extra ro- uh, roster spot and they'll save you some salary. Um, again, if you're going to target a passing offense in a short slate, it's never a bad idea just to load up and get uh, three or even four players from one offense if you think it's going to be very high scoring just because uh, you're looking for a game stack, you're looking to get a very unique lineup. Uh, so in in a slate where there's only four games, uh, I think it's okay to do that. Um, again, like I mentioned on DraftKings, you have that extra roster spot. Uh, curse grades out as the top DraftKings overall and ceiling value on 4 for 4 wide receiver. And then Lockett always offers you a little bit of extra upside uh, in the return game. On, on the other side of the ball, I'm, I'm not particularly high on Ted Ginn. Uh, just because of the players that are priced around him. Um, you can get the Michael Floyd, you can get the Randall Cobbs for the same price, uh, $6,500 on FanDuel, $5,000 on DraftKings. Um, in two of his last three games, Ginn only had uh, three targets, um, missed week 17, I believe, and Cam just started spreading the ball around a little more. Uh, we saw Cotri get involved, we saw Funches get involved, um, we also saw Brown get involved. Um, all those guys getting five, six, seven targets per game. And, of course, we have Greg Olson, uh, another guy that, that Cam can target. So um, I'm not particularly high on again. Uh, Seattle's one of just eight teams to allow less than 11 yards uh, per completion on the season. So they're not really giving up the deep ball, which is where a lot of Ted Ginn's value lies, is just getting loose over the top. Um, he's not going to be a high-volume guy. He's not going to be a red zone guy. So if he can't get that deep, uh, that deep threat, then uh, a lot of his value goes away. Uh, Greg Olson, always, always a top play at tight end, um, especially on FanDuel this week. He's 65. It's really weird. He's $6,500 on FanDuel and $6,900 on DraftKings. Usually it's opposite. Usually the players are more expensive on FanDuel because uh, there's a bigger cap. But uh, he's cheaper on FanDuel, and relative to Gronk, we're always comparing players to the top player. He's $1,800 less than Gronk on FanDuel and only $700 less than Gronk on DraftKings. So you're getting a really big discount on Greg Olson on FanDuel compared to the top tight end on the slate, and uh, his numbers aren't far off. Target numbers are right there with Gronk receptions, and we know he has the touchdown upside with Cam throwing him the ball. Uh, So Greg Olson's definitely in play, and I really like him as a tournament play on FanDuel. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you mentioned the price discrepancy because you're getting him at pretty much a price discount on FanDuel, but Mm -hmm. I think on DraftKings you might get him at an ownership discount because just because his price is so high, people might say, you know what, I might as well just pay up for Gronk or just go with Kelsey, who will probably be the chalk play just because he's coming off an 8 for 128. A mm-hmm. week, so I actually like Olsen on DraftKings just as much, just because of that kind of. I think his ownership percentage will be a little lower than it should be, and I low key, I think he's probably in my mind the safest tight end play, just because if you look at the Seahawks' defensive weakness, they are really good all around, but the one thing they have trouble with is the tight end. Um, yeah. It, it, it kind of reared its ugly head on the last drive against the Vikings last week where they needed a big plays to get down the field to get in field goal range. And they went to Kyle Rudolph mm-hmm. twice in one play. He got a big play on, on beat Cam Chancellor, uh, shedded, shedded Chancellor's tackle, and, um, and then um, drew a, a pass interference penalty on another one. So I think that's an interesting – Olsen had a really big game against the Seahawks 
earlier this season. So uh, do like Olsen a lot. And I think another interesting thing, we talked about the running backs and how ugly the slate is this week. And last week against the Vikings, the Seahawks running back touches were Kristen Michael, 22, Fred Jackson, 1. Yeah. Bryce Brown, 0. So I think Kristen Michael... I think he has to be in play just because of how bad the slate is and how many touches he got last week. You know, 22 touches at his salary um, on a four-game slate is pretty valuable, I think, regardless of the the matchup. And we know the Seahawks are going to run the ball somewhat, uh, regardless of what else they're doing with their offense. And finally, one more thing I wanted to talk about is just, I just think it's a really fascinating, strategic element to this game with the Seattle passing game because uh, we talked about uh, Josh Norman and he has only played in the slot 2% of the time this year. Doug Baldwin's been in the slot over 80% of the time. Uh, and those those stats are courtesy of PFF. But what I think is interesting is even if Baldwin avoids Norman's coverage, I think the Panthers actually, a lot of people might not know, but the Panthers play a lot of zone coverage, first of all. Mm -hmm. So Josh Norman, yes, he's a great corner, but he actually hasn't been doing as much. He's not a straight shadow corner the way you might think of a Darrell Revis or a Patrick Peterson, somebody like that. Like The Panthers play a lot of zone, a lot of cover three, which means Norman's still playing the boundary receiver in that type of zone coverage. But what I think is interesting is if they play a lot of zone, I think that lends itself to Baldwin being successful because he's really mm-hmm. good at running through zones horizontally and finding uh, space. But the Panthers actually with Thomas Davis and Luke Keekley have two really good athletic linebackers that theoretically should be able to uh, counter some of that. So I think it's a, re- it's like a strength on strength yeah. matchup here, but I don't, I just can't see any other Seahawk receiver really drawing that many targets as Baldwin regardless. So I think Baldwin's still uh, one of the top plays on the slate, especially at his price tag. He's still priced uh, as more of like a wide receiver two, fringe almost wide receiver three, where he's, uh, over the last half of the season, he's been a wide receiver one. So uh, just some things I wanted to talk about there. I think those are just a really fascinating game. Probably going to be the game I'm looking forward to watching uh, the most yeah, this man. weekend. Moving to the last game. On the slate, it is the Steelers at the Broncos, and right now the spread is the Broncos by seven. The game has an over-under of 39.5 right now, so that would be Broncos 23.3 to the Steelers 16.3. Now, we can't talk about this game without talking about the injuries on the Steelers side of the ball on offense, so... Right now, Ben Roethlisberger, he has a sprained AC joint in his shoulder, and he also has torn shoulder ligaments. Last week, the reason why he exited the game, he told Tomlin he couldn't throw the ball deep. So when he came back in the game, he was really relegated to throwing short passes. He has not been practicing yet. He's been talking about taking mental reps. It sounds like he is going to play, but he's going to be limited in his arm strength. Then we have D'Angelo Williams. It was initially thought that he was going to play this weekend. Now I think he's trending towards not playing. Word is he's been in a walking boot. Uh, So we're recording this on Wednesday night. So it looks like D'Angelo Williams will not play. And the reports are also that Antonio... There's been conflicting reports on Antonio Brown from different beat reporters in Pittsburgh, and from Pac-Man Jones, from Antonio Brown himself. <laughs> um, so first we heard that Brown was going to be fine and he was absolutely going to play. Then an- then Pac-Man Jones came out and said, yeah, you know, he was faking it. He, I think he's fine. But then later reports said... Uh, Brown's actually not looking good to play, and today, the last report I read was that Brown is quote-unquote hopeful. So there's a lot of conflicting reports. It really just comes down to can he clear the concussion protocol. Um, I would err on the side of caution in terms of 
planning your lineups around Brown just because of the situation. But I would also prepare by having Brown lineups ready if, if you are somebody that's preparing early in the week because his ownership, if he does get cleared, I think his ownership might still be down a bit just because Denver is such a good defense, even though he torched them last time, but just because he, the, the bit of uncertainty with the injury, um, but I don't, a concussion wouldn't have, shouldn't affect his uh, quality of play on the field if he's cleared. So um, it, it's just a situation to monitor, but Assuming Big Ben, we're going to assume Big Ben plays for the sake of this breakdown, and we're going to assume that Williams and Brown do not. Um, I think Fitzgerald Toussaint uh, liked him last week and like him again this week. He outtouched Jordan Todman 21 to 11. He racked up 118 total yards on those 21 touches. And perhaps more importantly, he also racked up eight targets last week, which is very notable since. Roethlisberger's arm strength will likely be compromised if he plays. So if Roethlisberger's arm strength is compromised, and especially if Antonio Brown is out, I I would think the Steelers would have to base their game plan around the run and just throwing to the running backs out of the backfield and things of short screen plays and things of that nature. So Fitzgerald Toussaint has an outside shot at racking up 25 touches or even more. Um, in this game, the Broncos actually allowed the eighth most receptions to running backs in the league this season with 96. And if we're, we talked about Ben Roethlisberger's arm strength, so a, it's kind of an interesting time to look at average target depth. And of course, that's uh, courtesy of PFF, but Martavis Bryant's average is 15.2 and Marcus Wheaton's is 15.4. So those guys are more so deep threats than anything. Antonio Brown's is 11.6 and Heath Miller's is 5.8. So if if Brown is out and Roethlisberger's arm shoulder plays with his shoulder injury, I think Heath Miller with that 5.8 average target depth could come into play a lot, especially since the Broncos are a lot stronger. They're strong all over on defense, but they are very strong in terms of their cornerbacks. Uh, I think Heath Miller is an interesting play. Uh, people might be off him after a slow game last week. And, if, and I think the running backs, I think Toussaint and even Todman, you know, 11 touches is nothing to scoff at for Todman. And this could be even a more running back dominant offensive game for the Steelers. So it's it's a possibility that uh, Toussaint could get 20 touches and Todman still get 15. And Todman did look pretty good last week. He's uh he's got some juice to him. Uh, I don't think he's a fits the mold of a feature back, but in this game I think he could definitely see uh, a decent amount of touches just because of the way the Steelers will likely have to devise their game plan. Moving on to the Broncos side of the ball, and I think both of their wide receivers are in play this weekend. The Steelers rank Dead last in the NFL in 4 for 4s schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers metric. Demarius Thomas is 8,100 on FanDuel and 7K on DraftKings. And Peyton Manning's return might be looked at as a negative for Denver's passing attack, but Thomas was actually a little bit more productive with Manning under center than with Brock Osweiler. Uh, especially, it was more in the catches and yards department, so... Thomas's average stat line with Manning was 7.3 catches for 93.3 yards. Um, and his average line with Oswire was 5.3 catches for 61.8 yards. So it's a two-catch, 30-yard difference there. The only thing was with Peyton, Thomas averaged only 0.2 touchdowns per game. But with Osweiler, Thomas averaged 0.67 touchdowns per game. So... Thomas was getting into the end zone a little more with Osweiler. Uh, that touchdowns are very volatile statistics, so uh, some of that could be chalked up to plain old regression. But going back to even 2014, Peyton and Demarius did have a lot of trouble hooking up in the red zone. So I think that is something to watch. But a 7.3 catch for 93.3 average going against the worst defense for wide receivers in the league. I think Thomas has to be in play as one of the best wide receiver plays 
of the weekend. And then Emmanuel Sanders is 7,700 on FanDuel, 5,800 on DraftKings. Really a bargain on the site. And Sanders quietly had a lot better of a season than you might think. He finished with 76 catches for 1,135 yards, uh, added six touchdowns, finished with less than 60 yards receiving in only four of his 15 games, and equips the 80-yard mark in over half of his games this season. So Sanders, definitely a guy that can make a difference on a short slate just because he has speed. He can take uh, any catch he Hauls into the house. He had his best game of the season in Week 15 against Pittsburgh with a 10 for 181 line with a touchdown. And, of course, that was with Brock Osweiler, although Sanders' numbers with Manning and Osweiler are nearly identical. So Sanders and Thomas, good wide receiver plays. And I think because of that, you do have to look at Peyton Manning in this game. Um, I think he'll be a contrarian play. I think people are just so done with him after the kind of season he had. But Peyton Manning actually has the best matchup by far in terms of 4 for 4 schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed metric. And on a short slate like this, sometimes uh, quarterback, you know, last week we saw Kirk Cousins was the most important play. But on a slate like this where it's not as easy to fit anyone you want in your lineup where you might have to pay up for some guys. I think Peyton Manning uh, might actually work out uh, in this game uh, if he can just have a decent game and maybe Thomas or Sanders can make a big play or two and pad Manning's stat totals the same way Alex Smith tends to get his stat totals padded by those fast Kansas City receivers doing work after the catch. And in terms of the running game, I think both running backs – are in play for Denver, but I won't pretend to be able to predict which one will be the better play. In their last game, C.J. Anderson had 16 touches on 42% of the snaps, while Ronnie Hillman had 17 touches on 55% of the snaps. So Hillman, slight advantage in playing time, but Denver really seems to be embracing the committee and the hot hand mentality. So I don't think necessarily Hillman or Anderson is a better play than one another. I think it's one of those situations where if you're multi-entering tournaments, you probably want to just hedge your bets by making a line with each of them and going about it that way. I don't, I can't find anything that would severely differentiate the two. And the Broncos defense, we haven't talked much about defenses, but the Broncos defense, one of the top options of the week, especially if Antonio Brown doesn't play, they're 5,300 on FanDuel and 3,900 on DraftKings. And if Ben Roethlisberger can't throw deep, it could, be, it could be a long day for the Steelers' offense. Currently, the Steelers' team total, as I mentioned, is only 16.3 points. And they're on the road. Ben Roethlisberger does frequently struggle. And the whole, that whole offense tends to struggle on the road somewhat. So Broncos, they're seven-point favorites. That's tied for the highest with on the slate with the Cardinals they could be a very profitable defense and it's always unclear as will people pay up for them so I think uh, I wouldn't hesitate to utilize the Broncos defense especially with all the injuries to the Steelers Uh, anything to add there TJ yeah, you, you touched on uh, Fitzgerald Toussaint in the passing game. I think the the biggest takeaway for me from wildcard weekend was his eight targets that you mentioned. Uh, we know how much Pittsburgh likes to throw to the running back, and it wasn't, it wasn't clear if he was just going to fit into that role, and they, were, they would continue to, to utilize the running back in the passing game, and they did. Uh, so I really, really uh, like... Uh, him especially on DraftKings where you get that full PPR uh, so I think he's a really nice play and then in regards to Demarius Thomas um, you, you mentioned that his touchdowns were down a little bit with Peyton but if we just think about it from uh, what's going to happen like what what their offense is going to be with Peyton in that game uh, he doesn't have an arm anymore uh, so we just think that he he's going to obviously be making short more uh easy uh to connect throws and you we've seen it so many times with Demarius he's so good after the catch and they love to run that that bubble screen just get a ton of blockers out in front of Demarius uh 
again, they, they've had trouble connecting in the red zone, like you mentioned, but um, if you think in terms of, of uh, the most likely, unlikely play to happen, it's a Demarius bubble screen to, uh, to the house from, from way out. Uh, so you need, um, you need those low-frequency plays to win tournaments on, on, these, uh, on these short, short slates, and I think that um, if you had to pick a player that's going to, to get one or two long ones to the house, it's Demarius on one of those bubble screens. So uh, I like Demarius with Peyton. Yeah, no, definitely. It's a very sneaky play. Not a lot of people, I, I don't think, are talking too much about these Broncos. Uh, this Broncos offense, just because it's, it's low, low over under type of game. But I think there's some real potential uh, for for this Broncos offense in this game. That includes the running backs, um, along with the wide receivers, as you mentioned. So. Great stuff. Uh, that about wraps it up for an, the divisional edition of DFS MVP. Thanks to all the listeners out there for tuning in and sticking with us as the NFL season winds down. We will have a podcast for next week's championship games. That will be the last DFS MVP podcast of the season. So be sure to tune in next week. We, Me and TJ will actually be in Dallas for the FSTA conference. Yeah. So that should be cool. Um, haven't exactly decided how we're going to record the podcast, if we're going to record it uh, there or maybe we'll record Monday. But uh, either way, uh, should be some some good stuff. Finish up the season strong. Yeah. If uh, if if you're a, if you're an industry listener that's going to be on Dallas or if you live in Dallas, hit us up on Twitter. Uh, we love to meet up and uh, – I mean, before we sign off today, I just want to say thank you to all the listeners. I know you mentioned we're going to have another podcast next week for championship round, but uh, I don't know how many people are going to be playing on that very short slate. Um, so thank you to everyone for listening uh, this year. The, the feedback's been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, it's been really fun, and, and getting getting feedback, getting those tw- those tweets every week that say we help people uh, you know, take down a GPP or have a profitable week, um, that's the most rewarding part about what we do. It's, it's been really fun. Just thank you to everybody, industry um, and non-industry alike. Well said, TJ. I completely concur. Thanks again to everybody out there for listening. You can find Mr. TJ Hernandez on Twitter at T-J-H-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-Z and myself on Twitter at C-H-R-I-S-R-A-Y-B-O-N. Be sure to Check out 4for4.com. Our DFS content is still going strong uh, for the playoffs, and we'll go through week 20. So check that out. And good luck in the divisional round. Let's get this money. Let's get this money. I wear a mean dark pair of shades. And you can't see my eyes unless my head is bent. You dig? Uh-huh.